Hi, I'm Sam Simon, and I'm the grandpa, and I always think deep. Hi, I'm Emily Simon. I'm the granddaughter, and I'm always wondering, in every conversation we have, why does grandpa always think deep? Happy birthday, Emily. Oh, thank you, Grandpa. I can't believe you're turning 20. Well, you've turned 20 by the time everybody hears it. Technically, her birthday is Saturday, April 8th, which... Well, it just is my birthday. <laughs> Not technically. I guess it technically is my birthday. Well, technically and, and literally and, and every... In all the ways, all the ways. You know, I, I can't resist, Emily, and... I'm hesitating because I'm thinking, should I really do this? But I remember that day you were our first grandchild. Aww. It didn't go normally. Yeah. So everything was normal and we were all your dad and everybody. We had visited the day before on the hospital in, in Arlington and visited your mom and was in the room. And it was a birthing room and... Yeah, we saw the desk. It was all normal, and then it's scheduled for tomorrow. They'll, you know, get here around 8 tomorrow. We went home, and we're all playing. And so Grandma and I show up just as we were told to, and we look in the room. It's empty. We look at the desk, and we said, we're Rachel Marcus Simons, you know. And they go. And the nurse stands up, come here. You know, there's very, not grim, but serious look on her face. Takes us into the waiting room and says, wait here. Uh, that's not very great. It's like not be told we're ah, What's going on? And so we learned that it was an unexpected cesarean section. And the other thing I remember, I mean, again, these things, are, things in life we'll never forget. You still have some of these to come <laughs> one way or the other, whatever in, in life. But your dad, in his gown, walks into the waiting room to tell us that Emily was in this world, and he cries, and he hugs, because he was so emotionally, you know, bent up. So it was a wonderful day. Look at this. It'll be exactly 20 years from that day, this Saturday of April 8th. Hard to believe. How's it feel to be 20 years old, young lady? Well, not so different. 19, I suppose. It's funny. I, I remember a few months ago with you, oh my God, I'm going to be 20 in a few months. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, I still feel like I'm like not ready to not be 19. But then a few weeks ago, I think about it and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be 20. Like, I'm going to be 20. I'm, I'm okay with that. That makes sense. I think I'm ready to be 20. So I think it's something I'm ready for. Two decades. I have to tell you, I, I, maybe if I had more energy, I'd make copies and put it on the podcast sites so other people could see pictures of me at 20. I was the skinniest looking little boy in the world. I was the 90 pound weakling and it showed. Uh, There's this horrible picture of me sending you in a swimsuit's arm on the lifeguard stand posing for this picture and said, and he got engaged that year. <laughs> but it's an interesting year right so grandma and i were in college we have a scrapbook which says we which isn't technically true but we 
met in 1964, and within a month we got, I was in a fraternity. She got dropped. That is, they gave her a Sigma Alpha Mu fraternity necklace and meant she was going steady with me. And then in October of 1964, we were pinned, which meant pinning meant you are a pre engagement, you intended to get engaged. So by 1965, we were planning on how to get married, and I formally proposed to her. So you go from the pinning to an actual engagement ring in the fall of 1965. So it was an eventful year for Grandma and Grandpa. Seems so different these days. People think about getting engaged and married at 20 is like unheard of. Yeah, I don't know anyone who's in a relationship that serious. I really, really don't. Yeah. So, and I guess the other thing that were happening in the world was the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. It's raging. Oh, there were demonstrations going on on our campus. I was selling shoes at Owl's Shop for Men part time to start to put away money and planning on how we're how are two twenty one year olds going to live on their own in those days. So that was what was good. You want to live alone at the time, or do you want to continue living at home until you finish college? We living together premarital didn't happen in those days. So you wanted to live together on your own once you got married. Oh, yeah, where it wasn't even an option. It was when you got married that happened, and so we had to be able to. So, what made you want to get married while you were still in college? Why didn't you want to like wait until like after college to move in together? It's a an interesting question. Because like I don't, I know most people like even if they're in a really serious relationship. They're not going to get married during college. Like they're going to wait till they're graduated and they have a real job and they're making some money and they'll have a real wedding. There were a couple of things going on. One though was twenty years ago, at least in El Paso, in our community, you didn't sleep together much if you weren't married, mm -hmm. and that was a bit of a motivator. The other thing going on was you know Susan's mother was sick. Uh -huh. So she had breast cancer, and I think by then was seriously ill. And if you read the actual dance memoir, you probably haven't had Emily. You'll see that I say that we think that the decision of the two parents, are my parents and grandma's parents, to let us get married was they wanted grandma's mother be alive for the wedding. Oh, okay. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. And I went that summer to live in Houston, or I say live in, I went and, yeah, lived in and stayed and worked in Houston for the summer of 1965. Had an apartment, lived very near where Grandma's house was, and got to know her family, all our family much closer. And I think everybody knew we wanted to get married and we're going to get married. And it wasn't, you know, in October when we came back to school in September, I proposed. So what's it like, do you think? So you're at the University of Delaware. You're a sophomore. That's interesting with I. And this depends on when in the year I graduated college in 67. So I was a freshman. Yeah, I was a freshman. I got engaged with, is that right? Theory to 64, 64 to... No, I, I was a beginning 
Yeah, no, it, it, right. It was my sophomore year. I was a sophomore. Yeah. And so are you. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I want to ask you about is actually like, I have a lot of trouble imagining what college would be like without phones or computers because we use them so much in everyday life. I'm like, what would I even like do? I guess like I wanted to ask you some questions about that. That's cool. Sure. Yeah. Well, I feel like, first of all, I, every day I check my email. Like every day I have emails from clubs send out emails about when their meetings are going to be. As a club leader, that's how I communicate. We have a club group me which is like a group chat in a certain app that lets you have a bunch of people in a group chat. And like, we have a PowerPoint presentation when we have a club meeting. Like, I know you were in a fraternity, but like, what was student life like before there were phones and computers? Like, I have so much trouble imagining, like, how do you even, yeah, what was that like? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about that. And it's been a while. Yes, you're right that, I mean, I do it too now. We just think of life as we do it today, as it always was, but it wasn't that way books and you kept calendars you know i'm just trying to you know you went to class i listened to radio much more than tv did you have like a portable radio i didn't do it didn't carry we didn't carry those with us no it was in the room i had um, my radio and i had a record player and this was the 60s and my 17 uh, year old well, i was 17 year old girlfriend now by now i'm 20 but i'm sure she was still my other is Joan Baez. You know, I, I listened, to, I heard her records on in my room and just listened to Joan Baez and all the anti-war music and songs. And, you know, we, we had a busy household. So I had my mom and two sisters and I, and we would still have a live-in, we called them maids. I think there has to be a better word for it now. But that would make anything wrong with the word maid. I don't know, whatever it, the sound in my ear at the moment didn't sound right, but she lived in, lived in Juarez, Mexico, but would come in, live in five or six days a week and go back. And it, you know, it was just busy. People would get up, people would go to work. We'd get up, we would have to get to class or get something done or study. And yeah, we spent a lot of time with each other, you know, so get to campus, go to class, but grandma and I would very often do homework together at our home. Unless she would come over to our house to do homework. On the way between the campus and my home, there was a hotel coffee shop that a lot of people always went to, and we'd often have coffee or something there. So we, we were busy, but we didn't have that constant thing to distract us. No email, didn't even phone, because Grandma didn't have a phone in her room. She had a phone in the hallway for the, in the hall of hotel. Yeah, no. Life was, I guess, much slower in many ways in, in that regard. That nearly as many distractions or ability to look. You know, I, I continue to be reminded, you know, because it was in my work, obviously many years later, but one of my, you know, my company, we were working with AT&T early on. And I remember the event that we helped co-sponsor and somebody, an executive from AT&T stood up at this meeting of people and held an early version of the cell phone that says, one day soon, people will hold all the information in the world in their hand, at least access to it. And, you know, we had library time together. That's how we'd find, we would go to the library and study together. People still do that. <laughs> uh, but that was a primary kind of activity and ways to be together during the day. 
I did have a part-time job, so I was working and traveling between work and home and seeing your, your grandma. And very different today, right? Oh, no, actually, not so different. I mean, people are still doing a lot of homework. It's still college. <laughs> I feel like, honestly, though, the thing about phones is that it's not, yes, it's a distraction, but personally, at least, I really use my phone to coordinate when I'm going to meet up with people. Like, I don't really use it as a form of communication. Like, I don't, like, just, like, sit around texting people, just, like, having texting com- conversations through text because that's very inefficient. And why would I do that when I could get together with you and hang out with you and have real conversations with you? So I really use my phone only as, like, a way to communicate how I'm going to meet up with people. Or there means that, well, we're going to get lunch together. We're going to go to this cafe together. We're going to go study in the library together. So, like, the same things you were doing, but I just coordinate it through my phone. Yeah. And then, you know, what's interesting is you made me think about, because we're, is it, I guess, three generations away. It's your generation, your parents, and my generation. Sure. In our Seder, by the way, we had Oliver, uh, one of... Chelsea's baby. Chelsea's baby. So we had four generations at our Seder. But you know, there are significant differences. That your dad's generation, or even, yeah, they do a lot of texting instead of emailing and conversations, which I hate. I like to email and call. I don't like texting as a way of, I'm more with you for more specific, it's intrusive. But yeah, you know, I'm going to take us back to the uh, conversation we had about a little artificial intelligence. You know, it's emergence onto the stage and this great anxiety about it. And there are reasons to be concerned, but it reminds me of the emergence of the phone and the cell phone and the great fear or... Well, see, that's certainly... Our lives are going to change. Our everyday lives are going to change. We don't know what they're going to look like, and that's crazy and scary. And Yeah, and and so what was going on in 65 that way? Cell phones were not even on the... uh, (laughs) I'm remembering... Would not exist yet. I'm remembering the things that... Like, all right, we used to have five numbers. We used to actually have a party line for a phone. And, you know, three people had our same phone number. And then you added the three more, made them eight digits. And then you added the one plus one. And those were the big transformations in communications for us over that time. And the proliferation of television itself, we didn't have TV in our house yeah, you know, for our my first decade, ten years old, we still didn't have a TV, and there were one or two TV networks. Even in '65, I don't know when ABC came on the scene, but it may have been only ABC, NBC, and CBS. Um, and so there were very limited news sources, and they were people hung out a lot in person, right? Now they can't. Yeah, and that was sorority and fraternities. I don't know how much they changed in the houses, but they were sort of places where you connected in your cohort group. Was Greek life being on your campus? I want to say yes, but I want to say also I don't know because I lived at home. Mm-hmm. There were a number of very large fraternities and sororities. Mm-hmm. They seemed to be significant. I was in the student government. I got in the student senate, and the Greek world didn't dominate the student Assembly, whatever we call us. I don't remember what it was called. Yeah, student government. But the student government, they were much more, you know, and ours was a unique moment. We were in, in 1965. 
the basketball team was already famous. Yeah. And Texas Western College had, through Coach Haskins, became a one of the leading basketball teams in the country, this tiny little college in El Paso. And it was in March of 1966, just a year away, that they would win the Final Four and put the very first all-black college basketball team on the floor at the, at the same time. Back to Bikini. Oh, the Final Four. Well, I think of any college basketball game ever. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. wait hold on, wait a minute. So the first all-black basketball team was AAA. when they were at the Final Four, or was it like throughout the entire season? And the- uh, well, no, we had we were mixed. I mean, the, it wasn't just blacks on the team. Yeah, but the first team, nor typically would be. Though we had a couple, but each year there were a couple of well-known players. I'm not going to remember all their names. Yeah, indeed, one of the major. And I'm not going to remember the name, but college basketball coaches played at Texas Western, was one of the players. And I'm going to be a famous coach. Okay. I, I believe that. By the time they were there, there were 18, their starters yeah. were all African American. Big Daddy Latin, Bobby Joe Hill. These are names that come to my mind. Yeah. And it, Okay, so this makes sense. Got it. So, so that was really a dominating part of college for us because of how big basketball was. Did everyone go to games? Yes. Yeah. Oh, like, man. UBD doesn't have a particularly strong sports culture. Like, yeah, like a bunch of people go to football games, but also not a ton. And basketball games aren't big. They have them, like, on Wednesday nights for some reason. I'm like, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, and you're in a, I mean, it's, we were rural. We were uh, El Paso. You know, it was changed it. It's called the College of Mines because they were looking at minerals and mining work in the, in the desert southwest. We were not in this urban world with easy access to New York. and. Well, interestingly, people don't really, like, yes, are we sort of close to Philadelphia? Yes, but we're not, uh, people don't really go into the city very much. They make it difficult to have a car, and I think that's an intentional choice made by both the University of Delaware and the city of Newark, Delaware, because... It's very difficult to have a car. Parking is really expensive. And the campus is totally walkable, so you don't really need one. And so even though we're close to Philly, most people, like, they live on campus and do stuff on campus. And there's so much interesting stuff to do on campus. There's clubs. I mean, there's Greek life. There's always cool guest lectures happening, always people coming in to do cool talks. There's always sports games happening. I mean, really, there's not, like, people, most people, like, they really, like, it's, the campus is really vibrant here. People, like, they totally, like, live on campus, like, do all the stuff on campus. Like, yeah, so even though we're close to a major urban area, I mean, campus life is still really, really strong. And then that's another difference because Texas Western then, or it's called the University of Texas, El Paso was mainly a community, not a community college, but serves the, the El Paso area. Yeah. People lived at home. Grandma lived in the dorm. There were there were dorms, but it, most of the people went, went home at night. Interesting. Them. Very interesting. That's not UD at all. Most people are living in dorms and from New Jersey. <laughs> but the world was different. And he said, well, the world was different. We were different. Both our, you know, my parents and our family, my dad traveling salesman and grandma worked as a bookkeeper, it never finished high school. And my dad didn't graduate college. He dropped out because of World War II. Oh, wow. He was a traveling salesman. 
So it was a different experience, but we were we grew up faster in that regard. And I guess in some ways, that's what people did. A lot of people were getting very young back then. And on our friends, you know, who we were at the BYO with, the B'nai B'rit Youth Organization, getting married and living as in married couples on in El Paso, or we're getting engaged. That's not the ethic now. No, it's totally a different world. Yeah. We're doing this right after Passover, so we can check in on that. How was your Passover? Well, it was nice. I went to Hillel. Yeah, it was It was nice. They have their Seder book. It's not very long. It's like actually kind of meant for kids. It was made by UD alums, which is why we use it. It's, it's kind of just designed for kids. It hits all the main points, and it's got like lots of fun cartoons in it, like drawings. So that was that was fun. Well, it was nice. It was very nice. We sat outside, actually, because it was so nice, which worked out because there were a lot of people there. I think it was a Wednesday because people couldn't really go home. I remember I went to... Last year was the first night of Seder on a Thursday. Or... Well, I, last year, I remember I went on the first night of Passover, and there definitely weren't as many people. So it was outside. It was beautiful. It worked out. It was a really nice Seder. We went through the whole Seder book. Food was not that great. The chicken was dry. So I... Well, one of the other things I was going to talk about, but I'd rather talk about you turning 20 because it's so amazing to me to have a granddaughter who's 20 years old. And like you said, Grandma and I were getting ready to get married. So life is different these days. I've got a question for you. So I was saying earlier about communication and like how did you like coordinate with people like when you were going to get together? How do you meet people? Because now it's like I get someone's number and then I don't have to physically see them again to text them and be like, hey, do you want to like meet up for dinner or whatever? Like, how do you meet people? How do you meet up with people? Like, how do you maintain front? Like, I just think that and that's like the most mundane question to you probably. But to me, I find it really interesting because it, it's so fundamentally different from, from my experience. And I think it's worth, I think it's interesting. Well, yeah, you know, a couple of things about that. Though I will tell you, I'm having a hard time remembering that. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, because... It wasn't a thing. It was just how we work. It was just how you existed in the world. Yeah. So I, a couple of things. First of all, our world was largely our neighborhood. Uh-huh. We mean your neighborhood at home or at the university? Well, at home, but I'm thinking now as I'm growing up, on our block, most of the people I knew lived in Pindale Pass. So our first street was Galloway Street, and there was something called the Galloway Gang. Now, it wasn't a gang in the wor- words retained how we think of gangs today. But it was everywhere lived on Galway and all the kids were over the same age. And we'd get together, we'd teach each other outside, we'd go out and play hide and seek as, as a community almost every night. Well, it's not like, like when I was a kid, like in elementary school. So did you maintain contact with those people as you grew up? Well, many of them were part of your high school. I walked to high school. So we saw each other in school. So we would communicate and coordinate in school together. And there was telephone calls. I mean, we would telephone somebody, but it wasn't, I don't think the telephone, like calling and talking was the primary way. You would would sort of say, let's get together tonight at school, or you could call, but you would coordinate usually during the day, or if you, and it had to be otherwise by regular phone call. I just don't remember getting on the phone and calling, you know. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. They're going to hop on over. Yeah, or... My best friend at school, we you know, Ken Goldberg, and in college, but we would we could maybe touch base by phone 
But we would be in classes together, and sorry, I'll see you at three tonight at uh, whatever, or what are you doing over the weekend, or let's have lunch. You kind of had the coordinating stuff in person when you were with them, like, hey, what's the coordinating tax time? I'm going to see you now. Yeah, and it, as we got into high school and we started to get our driver's license, we might drop by, or, you know, I'm remembering your dad who, who wouldn't sell phones. Again, he, they were down the block and in school, and there were plenty of ways to be in touch with folks. In, Interesting. In, I guess school, being in school together through high school and then the same thing in college, that that was the universe of your friends and, well, your friends. A lot of your, well, okay, a few things about this. I think it's interesting that you talk about how you maintained your friends from your neighborhood, because I feel like I had that in elementary school, and then it kind of dropped away because a lot of my friends moved away. And then I went to college, and I, like, didn't know anyone, so I think it's very different. Well, in, co- in college, it was the same, you know, and then it had to be, we were at the state at the student union between classes, Let's have coffee between classes. We didn't have broad networks of friends. And they were, I guess they were on campus. You know, we were also much closer to our, I don't say much closer. We had a large family network in a lot of our time. My time was connected with that. And then the other place was we were very active in our synagogue, Temple Mount Sinai. And a lot of our friends were there, so we'd see them on weekends. But there was not constant back and forth that I can be in touch any time. We were hanging out together meant that, all right, tonight we'll be at Dick Eager's place, or, oh, it was Steve's parents are, and yeah, let's go to their house and bring some of the liquor on the, you know. <laughs> that was sort of how we, you know, it's a very, very different way, loving, and yeah. So what, what you have a vision for the rest of, for your April 65, uh, the 23 to 24? No. I'm taking life one day at a time. Well, yeah, look, you just came back from New Zealand, and you might go to Israel this summer, but you, you're waitlisted for that, right? So you're looking... No, I got rejected from that program, and now I'm applying for a bunch of internships and just, like, throwing spaghetti against the wall to all find something that sticks. Oh, throwing spaghetti against the wall. It, yeah. It would sticks. Well, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing right now. Just to grow, I'm just trying to figure out what my classes are going to be for next semester. I'm really not thinking that far ahead. I mean, the future just has so many possibilities. I don't want to set a strict, rigid plan for myself. I want to see what happens and see what opportunities come up. All right. That sounds good. So very much in an exploratory phase of life. All right. Well, we wish, wish you a happy and healthy and wonderful year 20. And look forward to yeah. Grandpa Thinks Deep with an older young woman for the next year now and looking forward to spending as much time as possible with you it's good all right all righty happy birthday emily bye-bye thank you